Jar up for the morning message. Dan, and thanks Kylia for leading us this morning. If we haven't met, my name is Shar, and I am the family life pastor here. I don't have the opportunity very often to share the message, so it's a joy to be able to do that. And I get to do that this morning because Pastor Brad and his wife Jill are in Sarasota, Florida this week. Um, they might be on a beach, they might be in warm weather, but Pastor Brad is working this week. He's on a study break, so he wanted to make that clear to y'all. <laughs> He's just off-site for a week, so good to be here with you. Before we jump into the message, we have to do something else important, because there's something timely that's happening right now, and I'm having a little flashback, because five years ago, at this very moment, I was doing the very same crazy thing that some people are doing, a whole lot of people, actually. It's Twin Cities Marathon weekend, and we have a bunch of people from our church who are currently running the Twin Cities Marathon. One little caveat, one of them is already done. Any guesses? Kevin Zanker finished at 10.50, so he's been done for about 12 minutes. No surprise. Um, But we've got a number of people who are running. They have been training for six months. They've been fundraising for six months. They're running with Team World Vision. I see a Team World Vision guy up there. Um, Yeah. Um, Great ministry. Um, These folks have been sacrificing a lot of time and pushing themselves to the end of themselves um, to help end the the water crisis, clean water crisis globally. They've raised a ton of money, and we are so excited at the lives that will be forever changed because clean water, safe drinking water is available to people that didn't have that available to them before as a result of these folks who are running today. So we're going to pause and take a moment. We're going to pray for those who are still running and say, yay, good job, Kevin, to Kevin who's already done running. So let's pray. Father God, I just lift up our runners this morning. Um, Thank you, God, for bringing Kevin safely across the finish line. And Lord, for those who are still on the course, for Tone and Sarah and so many others, We ask, God, that you will be an encouragement to them that they find themselves at the end of themselves wondering how they can possibly finish this race. God, we thank you for showing up and for speaking to them and for encouraging them and for um, what what you have given them, God, inside of them and through their training. God, I pray that their training will kick in and your encouragement will kick in and they will be able to finish this race. And we praise you, God, for their self-sacrificial time and Um, pain that they've been enduring, God, um, for the lives of those that they will never meet. Um, We ask for you to be glorified this morning in each runner who's running with Team World Vision today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. It's a new month. It's October, and we're beginning a new series that's going to take us through the end of this month. Um, We're going to be wrestling with what it looks and acts like to go in Jesus' name. Tone, who is our director of Go Ministries and soon-to-be marathon completer, um, actually started us off last week asking us why we go to begin with in Jesus' name. You also heard a teaser last week, the first of many, um, about something that's called the Matthew 25 Challenge that's also part of World Vision. This entire month we'll be teeing up that challenge and centering ourselves on Matthew chapter 25, particularly verses 31 to 46. For some of you, this month will be challenging. For some, it'll be convicting. Some, it'll be edifying. For some, it might be infuriating. And many, if not all of us, will hopefully experience a profound and very personal call to movement, to action, to go. 
So we're going to begin this morning by reading together Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46. And as we do so, I invite you to stand, and we do that to show honor to the word of God. Join me. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of these, least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on his left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry, and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked, and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refused to help the least of these my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me, and they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. You may be seated. That's a hard word. It's a good word. So let's start with the animals, sheep and goats. Can you tell the difference? Everyone know which one's a sheep, which one's a goat? Excellent. So far, so good. All right. So why use these two animals in this illustration? A couple thoughts. In ancient Israel, these were both common and highly valuable animals. They provided such things as food, milk, wool. It was common for them to mingle in the same herd because, for the most part, they're pretty compatible although there are some, some significant differences between sheep and goats. Here's a few of them. Sheep are generally passive and docile, so submissive, in fact, that they can leave themselves quite vulnerable. Sheep are gentle, quiet, easily led. They just love to follow their shepherd. They will follow their shepherd without question. Sheep are grazers. They'll spend hours upon hours in one field eating grass and clover. So goats, on the other hand, goats are browsers. That means that they like to explore a wide area and many and varied things. Leaves, twigs, vines, shrubs, berries, even poison ivy are some of their favorite things to eat. Goats are spunkier. They are more full of personality than sheep. Goats are also pushy, self-sufficient, headstrong, naturally quarrelsome, and tend to be short-tempered. Goats would rather lead than follow. So personality differences aside, it's noteworthy that the two actually look pretty similar in Asia and Africa, unlike the way that we know them, 
where they're actually bred in Western culture to look very different for resale purposes and for wool. So to the untrained eye, it would be very difficult for most of us to distinguish between the two as they currently look. But to the shepherd, the differences are easy to distinguish. So we're going to have a little test here. Let's see if you can identify sheep or goat. Sheep. Sheep or goat? Goat. Sheep or goat? Goat. Sheep. All right. Yeah, they look a little different than our little cartoon, don't they? So why do we begin with the animals? Aside from the obvious fact that every sermon should in include animals. Because they help us see our main point today. While we might think that we have a vision for what Go looks like and acts like, a vision that either allows us to pat ourselves on the back a little more heartily than we might deserve, or else keeps us frozen in our tracks because the call is so overwhelming. I'd argue that our vision actually needs to be adjusted because oftentimes it's just not correct. And the shepherd knows. He knows our stubborn hearts. He knows our prideful motivations. He knows our tendency to go our own way, to love our own way, even to serve our own way. He knows that without his guidance or protection, we will either stubbornly chart our own course or else will passively allow ourselves to be harmed or rendered powerless and ineffective by the world around us. So today we're going to look at Go through a different lens because the lenses that we look through are different than the lens that God looks through. And because the commands we read earlier are just that, they are commands. We are expected to live a certain way, to love a certain way, and to go serve a certain way. And this requires some adjusting and some following on our part. So why might our vision for go need some adjusting? Well, I would say there's a difference between going and embodying a life of go. Simply going from time to time doesn't make us obedient to the call that God has placed on our lives. Simply going periodically doesn't necessarily mean that we are living our daily, ordinary lives in a posture of go. A few examples from my own life. I have been going to the Dakota County Jail with our jail ministry team leading worship and praying with inmates for several years now. Once a year, I get to go. It's a good pat on the back, right? Twenty-two and a half years ago, when I was pregnant with our son, my husband and I spent a whole weekend up in North Dakota helping clear a farmer's field after severe flooding um, damaged his field and he was not able to plant. That was a whole weekend, church. That's a big pat, right? Plus, I was pregnant. <laughs> For several years, our small group has adopted a family in the mom's program at Christmas time, buying and wrapping gifts for a single mom and her kids. And we also help prepare and serve a meal once a year for the moms during their monthly business meetings. So that takes time, and it takes a little bit of money. Double pat, right? And how about this one? Five and a half years ago, I spent two whole weeks in Macedonia supporting and encouraging a local missionary couple, visiting and sharing meals with Muslim families and individuals, and building a playground for the town's children to play on. That was two whole weeks. That's like the epitome of go, isn't it? That's a big old pat. So these are all good things. And I know many of you have been involved in a gazillion go opportunities locally and globally. They're good things. But do you see the danger? If these events come to define my go, if my real life is interrupted, so to speak, by go moment after go moment after go moment from time to time, is that enough? 
Is that what God is asking of us? See, it's pretty difficult in time, over time, to, put, to live our daily lives with one pair of glasses on and then to take that pair off and put a different pair on when it's time to go. So what do we need to consider with our going? Well, number one, the lenses that we wear make a difference. I've been wearing progressive bifocals for nine years now, and the switch took me a couple years to make. I spent those couple years using readers. They were on when I had to read, off when I wasn't reading. On and off, on and off, on and off. Anyone? Yeah, there's a few of you. you. You feel my pain, right? That worked for a little while, but it just plain became a pain after time because I'd forget where I put my readers or I'd leave them at home or I'd leave them at work, so I bought a second pair, but it still was super inconvenient to the point where I finally knew that it was time to bite the bullet, and so I bought progressive bifocals. Now I have one pair of lenses that I wear all the time regardless of what I'm doing. This gets us closer to the heart of God because go isn't something we put on for an hour or a day or a weekend or even a couple weeks. Go is a lens that God expects us to wear all the time. Back to the animals, sheep and goats. Sheep wear one lens, the lens of the shepherd. They will follow the shepherd. They will look to the shepherd. They will allow the shepherd to lead. Goats, on the other hand, and I just have to say I love goats. I think they're super cute and I love their spunk. <laughs> but goats want to put on their own lens. Thank you very much. They want to chart their own course. I'm sure that deep down they're grateful and they know that if they really get themselves in a pickle, the shepherd will be there to bail them out. But in the meantime, they like to go their own way. Lenses matter. Consistency matters. Congruency matters. A common criticism the world holds of the church is that churches are full of hypocrites. People who wear one pair of glasses on Sunday mornings and in our Bible studies, only to take those glasses off and don another pair the rest of the week. Well, for sure we're hypocrites. But as Pastor Brad noted a couple weeks ago, at least we admit it, right? We allow ourselves to be challenged and we honestly seek to change. That's one of the reasons that we gather, to look at ourselves through the lens of God's word and to look to change more and more into the likeness of Christ. Our second point is that we are often blind to injustice because our vision is distorted. So to help illustrate this point, I need four volunteers. I need four of you to come on up here. All you need to do is be able to read. Four people, come on up. Don't make me pick you. One, I need three more. Come on, two, three, four. All right, looks like we got our four people. Thank you very much, readers. Okay. Before you read, put this on. There you go. Photo op, church. Excellent. All right, I love it. Okay. No. Here, here's your... Reader two, okay. Reader three, here you go, here you go. No, no, this is three. Reader four, there you go, all right. Okay. All right, CJ, would you read to us? Sure. We're waiting. Okay, how about reader two? 
No? Oh, goodness gracious. Three to three. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Okay, all right. Number four. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted, and Lazarus had nothing. Oh, my, okay, all right, all right. All right, take your glasses off. (laughs) You may keep them, actually, but I'm going to have you actually really read your passage now. This comes from Luke. Excuse me. Oh. Oh. (laughs) Double illustration. Here you go. Thank you. Jesus said, there's a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from a rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. Good. Reader two. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. The rich man also died and was buried, and he went to the place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. Then the rich man shouted, Father, Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted, and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted, and you are in anguish. And besides, there is a great chasm separating us, so no one can cross over to you from here, and no one can cross over to us from there. Thank you, readers. Well done. Let's give them a hand. You may keep your glasses. You're fine. (laughs) All right. Well, that's a powerful text. They had a little trouble at first, didn't they? And it wasn't that the words were unclear. The words were clear right in front of them. It was the lenses that they were wearing that prevented them from seeing clearly the clear words that were in front of them. So what we see there is that, if our, is that our, our vision is always clouded when we're not looking through God's lens. If we don't look through the lens of God's word, the stories of God's people, and the presence of the Holy Spirit, we will not look accurately, and we will not see accurately, even things that are right before our very eyes, and we will not act accurately. A month or so ago, during our community prayer time, after a particularly disturbing week at the borders of our nation, I invited people to stand if they know someone, really know someone, whose proverbial back is against the wall, someone for whom our policies are not just, someone who's on the wrong side of the law, often through no fault of their own, someone who desires the same freedoms and longs for the same privileges that most of us enjoy, but finds them just out of reach, someone like Lazarus, There were a handful of you who stood, and that's a good thing. But the question remains, why didn't everybody stand? That's a challenge for us. Church, does Lazarus live near you? And by near you, I mean not necessarily at your gate, but within 20 miles of you? Does Lazarus shop at your grocery store? Does he or she ride the bus, the same bus that you ride to work? Or drive by you in a car on the road in a vehicle that looks like it's about to fall apart? live in that building, in that neighborhood, in that street that you're afraid to walk down, stand on that corner, 
with a tired face and a cardboard sign? Do you even see him or her? I get it. My life isn't so different th from yours. We're all busy trying to keep with our own stuff to take care of what's ours to take care of. And there is an element of fear when it comes to go. There's discomfort, maybe helplessness, that we experience when we come across someone who looks very different than we do. That's my world, too. We're not here to be shamed. We're here to be encouraged and to be challenged. Because those people are equally, equally God's people. Those living on public assistance, those without an education, those who have fathered or mothered children out of wedlock, those who are spending time behind bars, again, or how about those whose skin is a different color, who speak a different language, who don't know what gender they are today, who live in fear daily, those whose children can't avoid that scary neighborhood in that scary street because it's where they live, people who don't know that the God who loves you and me is crazy in love with them as well. It's like my glasses. If I never put them on, I will never be able to read the words in front of me, trust me, because they will always be fuzzy and illegible. Similarly, if we walk around like this, head turned, arm out, arms reach, then those who are lacking or in need will always be impersonal. They'll always be unreal. We will never have to see them, speak to them, acknowledge their pain, hear their stories, come to value them as God values them or see them as God sees them. The rich man, there's no doubt he walked by Lazarus dozens of times. Lazarus hung out at his front gate. We don't know if they ever shared a word, but we do know that Lazarus was visibly in need and longed desperately for some daily bread from his neighbor. I wonder what kind of conversations Lazarus might have had about this man, either in his own head or within his luxurious household. Look at that man, lazy man. All he does is lay there day after day. Why isn't he working? I'll bet he hasn't even tried to find a job. He's probably on drugs. He should just pull him up himself up by his bootstraps and start doing something. He's an embarrassment to me. He makes my home look bad. I wish he'd go beg somewhere else. So many assumptions. So many judgments, likely not a word shared, a question asked. Hey, what's your name? Tell me your story. How can I help you? Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Do you need some clothing? Would you like to come into my home? Can I take you somewhere or put you in touch with someone? I want you to know that even though people might look down on you and make you feel worthless or less in general, you are worthy. Let me introduce you to my God, because my God sees you, knows you, and loves you. You are of infinite value, and I want you to know that. Lazarus was right in front of the rich man daily, but the rich man didn't really see him. He simply allowed him to stay in his begging box, invisible and judged. If only the rich man had known what was to come, that God would elevate the beggar and would cast judgment on his own inaction. I'll bet the rich man would have put on a different pair of glasses had he known. But we don't know, do we? We often don't know. We don't know the heart of any man or any woman if we allow, if we only look at outward appearance. But rest assured, one day we will know as God knows, and we will see as God sees. 
1 Corinthians 13, 12 tells us that. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. Our final point for today, this one's a challenging one for me. Sometimes go means receiving, not giving. I'm a much better giver than receiver. This one is hard for me. I'm just wired that way. The gift of mercy is strong here. But there's growth to be had in the receiving, friends. Because they're the flip side of the same coin, right? In order for me to give, someone else has to receive. In order for me to serve, someone else has to be served. And vice versa. Far too often, I am the rich woman. We are the rich men and women, each and every one of us, living pretty comfortable lives, seeking friendships with others who are like us, because it's easy, it's comfortable. And if we're honest, it feels better to be the one in control, the one who gets to decide where, when, and how to serve the other. So we might get involved with the least of these from time to time, but only and always as a helper. And while that's great, here's the problem. If you're only always helping or speaking or teaching or giving, you're still on top. You're still reinforcing the systems that separate us, reinforcing the divide. According to Amos Young in his excellent book, Hospitality and the Other, Pentecost Christian Practices and the Neighbor, he says that hospitality is equally about receiving the hospitality of another because as long as we're the giver, we're still in control, which begs the question, would you go to the home of the other for a meal? Would you ride in the car of the other? Would you celebrate a birthday or a holiday in the custom of the other? Would you allow the other to serve you? Tone shared a quote last week that speaks to this and is worth repeating. It's by a woman, Dr. Melba Padilla McGay. She said, we don't do things to the poor, we do things with them. This is to be our posture as we go. Not us and them, but we. We as children of the living God. We as image bearers of our God. We as beloved exactly as we are. Alongside and with, instead of outside and to. If this is your growth area, you're not alone. In fact, you're likely in good company. I wonder what Lazarus would have said if the rich man had asked to come to his home to meet his people. Both of their worlds would have been rocked for sure. Maybe, maybe they would have become friends. Maybe their children would have intermarried. Who knows? Friends, you don't have to be rich to help. You don't have to have a ton of time to serve. You don't have to be highly educated to teach. You have something to offer, just as you are. This is where our SHAPE class can be of practical value and where next month's Go Serve Fair can give you a tangible first step because your gifts are valuable to this world, every single one of you, because you have so much to offer and because you have so much to learn. Friends, this is going to be an exciting month, one that I'm looking forward to. We get to put on our Jesus glasses and prepare to see and look differently at the world around us from today forward. I'm going to close with an encouraging quote from St. Teresa of Avila. She says this, Christ has no body but yours, 
No hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on this world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. Yours are the hands, yours are the feet, yours are the eyes, yours are his body. Friends, God sees you and he sees the other too. As we leave here today, I hope you're challenged to take off the lenses that you're wearing. Maybe clean them, maybe toss them out, maybe grab a new pair of eyes. Regardless, may God bless you this week as you live alongside, walk alongside, learn from, receive from, and enter into the story of another. Let's pray. Father God, it is good to be here. It is humbling to be here, God. We have so much to learn. We have so much to receive, even in our serving. God, we are so grateful for every good and perfect gift that you have blessed us with. We're grateful for the life that we live, for the air that we breathe, for the clothing that we wear, for the meal we know that we get to go home and eat today. God, I pray that you will open our eyes, that you'll break our hearts, that you'll let us see, give us eyes to see what is all around us that we just don't see, God. Give us courage to step into the uncomfortable and to come alongside another in Jesus' name. And give us courage also to receive from another in Jesus' name. God bless us as we go this way. May we glorify you in our daily week. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple things as we wrap up this morning. Um, prayer team, I'd invite you to come forward right now. Um, if there's something that's on your heart this morning that you'd like to pray with someone about or something you'd like to celebrate, please don't leave this morning until you've had a chance to do that. Um, we are receiving a benevolence offering at the doors as you leave this morning. This is a monthly offering that we receive to financially support those in our church community and in our greater community. So consider that as you're leaving. And I'm going to leave you with these words. This is our benevolent, I'm sorry, our benevolent, this is our benediction for the month. So now go. As you have been fed, feed the hungry. As you have been set free, go set free the imprisoned. As you have been received, now give. As you have heard, now proclaim. And the blessing which you have received from the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be always with you. We go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.